From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. What a busy week it's been. This two-year roller coaster ride called Build Back Better just took another dramatic turn. Joe Manchin seemed to do a 180 and revived much of this deal. So we want to talk about all that and all the other things that have been kicking around in Congress as they scramble to finish before their August break. And joining me to do all that is my dream team coming back again for me here, Lindsay McPherson, who covers the politics of fiscal policy on Capitol Hill. Welcome back, Lindsay. Glad to be back, David. And Laura Weiss, who covers tax policy at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Laura. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's been a whirlwind. I guess we're led to believe, Lindsay, that Joe Manchin woke up one morning and decided he was wrong and his concerns about inflation were overstated and he had a complete change of heart and wants to expand the so-called Build Back Better package, no longer just health care, but now he's willing to do climate change and some tax measures, some tax increases on corporations. What happened? Well, in his telling, and he spent a good time talking with reporters yesterday, he, after two weeks ago, when he told Schumer after the June inflation numbers came out and showed that 9.1% year over year increase, um, that he had told Schumer that he wanted to wait. And he said that Schumer was mad at that. And then they came up with that deal to do just the narrow health care package. But then there was a lot of fire coming at him from other Democrats. And he, you know, I think he was really upset by like all the heat he was taking. And he says he never walked away from negotiating. And that, that when he said he wanted to wait, it didn't mean he was giving up on negotiating. He just wanted to kind of not rush the process. And in his mind, they always had till uh, the end of the fiscal year, September 30th, to do the reconciliation bill. And again, in Manchin's telling, he bumped into Schumer on Monday, July 18th, and Schumer's telling Manchin requested a meeting with him. But in any event, they got together that Monday, about a week and a half ago, to uh, discuss continued negotiating. Schumer basically told Manchin, I'm willing to negotiate with you on a broader bill, but I don't want to wait till September. I don't want to wait till August 10th when these inflation, July inflation numbers come out. And it sounds like Manchin ultimately agreed to that because they did negotiate. Manchin said he he and his staff scrubbed the bill, you know, prior versions of the bill for anything that could be deemed inflationary or as Manchin likes to call it inflammatory. And they got rid of a bunch of stuff and and they did certainly get rid of a bunch of stuff on the tax side that Laura can detail. Um, uh, But the climate part is pretty, you know, pretty solid and a lot bigger than what I think people would have expected in a scrubbing. Um, There's still a lot there. They did add a bunch of energy provisions you know, on oil and gas leasing, drilling that, you know, other Democrats aren't going to like, but that was key to getting Manchin's vote. I mean, there's no question this was a dramatic reversal on his part. And I have to think Democrats really put the pressure on him after he, after he had called it off yet again, just two weeks ago, I think it was, saying he wants to wait and see how bad inflation is. You know, nothing much had changed since then except his change of heart and a lot of pressure that I think Democratic leaders must have put on him to get going on this as they as they scramble to get reelected in, in in November. And I know I know Larry Summers, who's very close to the White House, you know, the former Clinton and Obama economic advisor, 
said he was talking with Manchin to convince him that this package would not be inflationary. Clearly, they were putting a lot of heat on him to have to have a, a, a second thought about this, and 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 clearly Manchin did. It was pretty stunning because this this thing has taken ups and downs now for almost two years, all because of Joe Manchin and his shifting positions, right? I think one surprising thing, too, is there were things in this bill that, you know, just weeks earlier, you know, we were hearing that Schumer was willing to entirely drop because Joe Manchin was opposed. You still have electric vehicle credits. You still have direct pay, which allows, um, you know, recipients of clean energy tax credits to get them beyond what they might owe in taxes. They're both more limited or different. I would say the EV provisions are different. They're addressing some concerns he had about that a lot of those components of electric vehicles could come from China. So there's stuff in there to address that. And direct pay is far more limited. But, you know, even stuff like that, that Democrats seemed ready to give up on just to get the bigger deal ended up in there in the end. Yeah, we should say basically what's in this what's in this revised package now, right? It's they say it would raise about seven hundred thirty nine billion dollars is sort of the total price tag of this over ten years. A lot of that comes from prescription drug savings. That's letting Medicare negotiate drug prices with manufacturers. There's big savings there, like two hundred eighty billion dollars worth. There's this 15% corporate minimum tax that, Laura, you can talk about, and there's some increased IRS tax enforcement. That produces all this money, and a good chunk of it, Democrats say $300 billion of it, almost half, would go to deficit reduction instead of new spending. That's specifically to appease Manchin's concerns here. He can say they're they're helping pay down the debt right to, to prevent inflation. So that's a big piece of it. And then, of course, this this big surprise of, of all these clean energy measures, uh, I think $369 billion worth of clean energy measures, energy tax incentives and the like, that we didn't think Manchin would go for, and now he's going for. Yeah. And I think on the tax side, I mean, a lot fell out from what Democrats had in there in the fall, but you know, there are the big tax in there, the um, domestic corporate minimum tax, it's basically a 15% tax based on the earnings that companies report to shareholders. And it's basically meant to make it so the biggest corporations can't pay less than 15% in taxes, um, even if they're getting other, you know, benefits in the tax code that they can't use that to just not pay taxes um, for years. And so, that's a big one. And that was one that progressives had pushed a while ago. And so it's really interesting to see this, you know, end up as the big tax in this bill. And I think, you know, you saw Senator Sinema saying this, you know, we'll see still if she's on board with this. But, um, you know, she had started, we were hearing, you know, what was getting her was sort of, we're not raising rates, we're going after taxes that should kind of already be paid. And it sounded like Senator Manchin was kind of saying something similar and arguing he's not raising taxes. And so, um, you know, that's the big one. There's also a provision on carried interest, which is how a lot of like hedge funds and private equity venture capital firms dole out income. And so it's sort of um, raising taxes on that in a way. And then the big um, 80 billion for the IRS to enforce the tax code. And that's something that, you know, across the Democratic Party, there haven't really been issues with. 
Yeah, it does seem, Laura, as though the, the big wild card now is Kirsten Cinema because we know Mansion's on board with this, but we don't know about Cinema. And of course, just to remind folks, Democrats need all 50 of their senators to vote for this thing for it to pass under the budget reconciliation rules, which requires a simple majority vote, but it's a 50-50 Senate, so it, there's no room to spare. And we know Cinema has expressed concerns about any tax increases, including that one you mentioned on carried interest, they call it, uh, which, which really affects the private equity firms, hedge funds. It amounts to a, to a tax increase on them. And Lindsay, I know you did some reporting on that this week, uh, which was interesting to me because if Cinema is still opposing this carried interest provision, that's a major problem, right? Well, it in theory, it wouldn't be if that's if she supported the rest of the bill and only opposed this carried interest provision. It's only fourteen billion dollars. It could easily be knocked out and not change the structure of the deal. Then the problem, though, is. Manchin says he was adamant that that be included and that he would not be okay dropping it. Um, so that well, that sounds like a problem. Then. <laughs> yeah, that it sounds like a big problem to me. No, it is a problem. But I to qualify that, like her uh, opposing one little tax increase, wouldn't be a problem if Manchin wasn't adamant about it. And I don't know, you know, if that'll change. Like I don't think either of them really want to blow up the deal over one provision. I assume it'll be worked out somehow. It's just, it is crazy. And there's a lot of like cynicism out there, you know, (laughs) for people who've been following this, like that, okay, well, you know, one of them is on board. The other one is, has concerns about something and they just think they're kind of constantly cynically working together. (laughs) It is kind of odd that that would be the one thing Manchin said he was adamant about. And I think he mentioned that like in terms of adamant, of all the taxes. I don't think he meant like the entire bill. So, I mean, there might be room to negotiate and if it really bothers her, maybe she is okay. Just tweaking language. We don't know yet. She hasn't commented. Um, her spokesperson said that she wants to review the text first. So, um, and Schumer's when he was asked about this yesterday at a press conference, he said he's giving all his members time to read the text and that they'll be talking about stuff soon. So I, I assume they'll have to have that debate in the coming days and hopefully they will be able to come to a conclusion. It does. I'm not saying it's not a significant change in the tax code, but in this overall bill, it is relatively a minor part of it. And yeah, you're right that it's worth pointing out. It is, it isn't much money. It's it's only supposed to raise $14 billion, which out of this 700 plus billion dollar package is not that great. They could easily let it go and still have plenty of room for deficit reduction here because they're not doing all that much spending. Um, so in terms of making the numbers work, that provision isn't that big, so it shouldn't matter that much. But whether the politics interfere with that, we don't know. I guess cracking down on the private equity firms and hedge funds is Manchin's way of sort of showing he's sticking up for the little guy and trying to tax the you know, the big wealthy people of Wall Street. But of course, people like cinema are concerned that it might have some some other effects here in the economy and, and dampen growth or whatnot that could pose a problem. And of course, you know, Republicans are, are just going to blast them on this thing and say, raising taxes is not the thing to do when we're on the cusp of a recession, right? And we just had GDP numbers come out saying this, it looks like there's now a second consecutive quarter of negative economic growth, an actual contraction of the economy for the second second quarter. 
which by a lot of common measures that, you know, two, two consecutive quarters defines a recession. It's not the technical definition, but that's, that's sort of a benchmark guide people use. And so that's going to put more pressure on them here. Um, and the Senate's trying to pass this this coming week, uh, almost no time here. It's going to be v- a very tricky political dance. And we don't even know if all the senators are going to be there. Dick Durbin, the Democratic number two Democrat, announced he tested positive for COVID. He can't even be in the Senate early in the week. This could really go down to the wire. It certainly could. Um, they still have to vet a lot of this new text with the parliamentarian. Um, they sent it to her when they released it on Wednesday night. And they obviously will have to go through the birdbath on a lot of this. You know, the tax provisions shouldn't be scrubbed too hard. It's, you know, taxes allowed and reconciliation measures. But there's probably a lot of language in the climate section that does need to be vetted. And I don't know how much of that had been vetted in prior versions that, you know, some of which I may or may not have made it to the parliamentarian. So it's hard to game out how long that'll take. I mean, certainly they seem to be putting the pressure on her to do her review quickly. Schumer said they hope that work can be complete in the coming days, but he has acknowledged that, you know, it is a big bill and it's a lengthy process. So we'll see. And the COVID absences could certainly create problems too. And I, I will say as of this, you know, we're a week ago, they did the birdbath presentations, which is when Republicans and Democrats argue um, their points on whether provisions should meet the bird the bird rule tests for reconciliation rules um, on the prescription drug language, which had been finalized a while ago, and they still have not, at least publicly, um, doesn't seem like the parliamentarian has issued her guidance on that yet. So that you know, if that takes a week, then you know the rest of this bill might take longer than they're anticipating. But as of now, that's their plan is to try to get it on the floor next week. It would probably be late, probably go into the weekend. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, Lindsay, I'm afraid to suggest it, but maybe they don't finish this coming week and and they they have to stay in town and, and shorten their recess. It's hard to imagine it all getting done by this, the next few days. Right. I mean, the, the, yeah, whatever they need to do to finish it, they will certainly put that time on the calendar. They want, this is a priority for Democrats. They want to get it done. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, the main driver for doing it in August is the extension of the health insurance um, premium tax credit subsidies. Um, so that premium hike notices that go out in either late August and September in different states for people trying to purchase their insurance on their marketplaces that people aren't seeing big premium hikes. Um, and I think it's noteworthy to say that the original narrow deal that Manchin and Schumer had on that two weeks ago would have only extended that for two years. The new one does it for three, which avoids this kind of scenario. If they had done it for two, then in 2024, which is also an election cycle, they'd be facing the same problem of potentially big premium hike notices going out right before an election. By putting it into 2023, they give themselves a little breathing room, at least on the political optics. It's probably still going to be into 2025, right? Oh, yeah, years. sorry, 2025. Yeah. So, yeah, three years from the end of this year. So, and also lines up as Laura has talked about um, with some other tax code th- things that expire. Yeah, the Republicans' 2017 tax law set up a lot that expires at the end of 2025. So, you know, if Democrats want to be in a position to have stuff expire then, it's probably going to be a time to negotiate. So. And we should say, Laura, I mean, this package does avoid the major tax rate increases 
the reversal of a lot of the Trump tax cuts that Manchin wanted and that Cinema fiercely opposed, they don't have that fight to wage at, at least, right? Because because these the, the tax increases in here are limited to these to these you know the corporate minimum corp, it basically just affecting corporations, private equity firms. It's not broad based taxes that Cinema would have more of a problem with. Yeah, she definitely has her fingerprints on, you know, the taxes in this bill, even if she hasn't signed off yet. And, you know, it would seem was not necessarily a part of this process for this final deal. But, you know, certainly they knew she wasn't going to raise rates, so they didn't try. And this domestic minimum tax is something that, you know, she it had come into this plan because of her opposition to raising rates. And it was something she was understood to be on board with. So, um, you know, we'll see. I think there is a lot of, you know, sort of thinking about could there be, um, you know, issues she has with this. I think there's just like a lot of outside pressure from companies as expected with something like this to have more carve outs, things like that, to delay it. You know, there's always going to be that. But, you know, if Democrats are on board, they're on board. So I think we'll see. Okay, so it's going to be a busy week. We'll see how this plays out. But in the meantime, there's been a lot of other activity going on that we want to get to briefly. And the Biden administration actually had a big win this week with passage of this bill aimed to ease the microchip shortage. It's been a major problem, a major concern affecting all kinds of everything we buy from cars to computers and refrigerators and everything else. A big win, about $79 billion it's going to cost over a decade. This is for grants and tax credits for microchip companies to invest domestic manufacturing. They got it through, uh, despite all this going on, they did get it through this week in both chambers, and it's, it's headed to President Biden's desk. This was really a long process. Um, it had been over a year since the Senate passed their version of a larger economic competitiveness package. And this all got trimmed down, you know, to pass before the August recess. And, you know, it was kind of interesting this week because it passed in the Senate. And then, you know, hours later, you have a statement from Senator Manchin that reconciliation is going on. And that was definitely something that, um, you know, Republicans had sort of tried to tie the two things together. But, you know, ultimately, this is headed to President Biden's desk, and it had brought bipartisan support. It had bipartisan support. But what was interesting to me, Lindsay, is most House Republicans actually voted against this, and the, and the House Republican leadership decided to whip their members against this bill, partly, partly because of their irritation with the new mansion deal on Build Back Better. Right. I, it's hard to say how much of an impact that had on the final vote count because they were already going to whip no because they don't believe in providing subsidies to one specific industry. They thought it would be better if you're going to try to incentivize manufacturing to have broader or research and development, just broader incentives like extending um, the full and immediate expensing for um that expired at the end of the year and doing some other things that are just more broad based and not sp benefiting a specific industry. But certainly I think the announcement of a deal probably did factor into the politics. Some, there were still about uh, two dozen Republicans who voted for it. But that's not many, we should say. I mean, <laughs> no, it, it is not, but they had, <laughs> they had only one Republican on the broader bill that the house passed, but that was also had a lot of like 
Well, that was a much, yeah, that, that yeah, was a more partisan bill. consider very partisan, so. But there was, I mean, I did watch, there was evident tension on the House floor yesterday o- over this, and the, the, the House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, was clearly very upset as he took to the floor to excoriate Republicans, saying, look, this is a bipartisan bill. We should all have been able to agree on this. And it was very sad, he said to him, to see Republicans bolt over this. You know, he said, because they were just ticked off about the mansion deal, and Hoyer had to say on the floor, look, this is not the reconciliation bill. This is a separate bill, and we should we should be able to handle separate bills separately. And Republicans, he said, are just stamping their feet and throwing a tantrum. Uh, he was clearly he was clearly upset that that it became this this partisan flashpoint, because I think Democrats really did believe that this was one area, uh, one rare time, like the infrastructure bill, that they thought they could show some more bipartisan unity than they ended up showing. Well, even the infrastructure bill definitely had more support. I don't remember offhand, but I think it was you know, maybe up to four dozen max, it might have been less than that, that than this too. It's still limiting when the GOP leadership decides to whip against a bill, even if, like I said, over the policy, the, the maximum about we're not, you know, like in the Senate, even still, there was about a third of the Republican conference in the Senate who supported this bill. Um, you know, not even half it was never going to be close to half here, it might have, right. might have had another dozen or so more, but I just don't think the votes there would have been significantly more votes absent the reconciliation deal. I think that leadership was whipping it and their members tend to follow those whips pretty closely. Um, yeah, there was that- there was concern from Republicans, we should say, too, that there weren't enough safeguards in this bill to guard against Chinese espionage or building, ending up building plants uh, or parts of, of them in China. Um, they felt there weren't enough there weren't enough guardrails there. In addition to the to the issue you point out, Lindsay, about you know targeting one industry for subsidies that some would argue they don't need because they're very profitable. It was a rare moment too, where you saw Republicans join with Bernie Sanders on this, the leading progressive voice in the Senate, who also was opposed to these subsidies on the grounds that these microchip companies are plenty profitable and shouldn't need U.S. subsidies to do the right thing and and build domestic plants, which is sort of a, a an odd juxtaposition of <laughs> alignment of forces on this on this issue. Right. Ultimately, though, every other Democrat, a lot of progressives in the House voted for this. They felt they secured some guardrails, like there were provisions, you know, telling companies they can't spend this money on stock buybacks and things that they felt were. There were some. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So that was that was the chips bill. That is done. One thing done, but another measure derailed. Uh, we should just touch on this because it's big money. They are trying to still pass this major expansion of of veterans benefits. These are for veterans exposed to toxic substances when they were on overseas deployments. Uh, they often worked in these open air burn pits to to dump all their trash and hazardous waste that created toxic fumes. Uh, and many veterans say they've suffered all kinds of health consequences from that, but it's been difficult to prove. And this bill is designed to, to, to lessen the burden of proof there so they can automatically be eligible for these benefits. Big money, it's something like $280 billion over a decade. 
It's bipartisan. Everybody was on board. They thought they just had to fix a technical glitch to remove an obscure tax provision that had caused a ruckus not worth getting into now. We've discussed it before. That's been fixed, but we saw a last-minute revolt on the Senate floor from a lot of Republicans because of what was in the bill even a month ago when they all voted for it. I mean, they've done a complete 180 here and said they want a new amendment on this bill, or at least the chance to vote on an amendment, because of the way this bill treats, reclassifies some VA health money to consider it mandatory spending, which Republicans say is just a backdoor attempt to squeeze in more unrelated domestic spending because it frees up budget authority for other programs. Kind of wonky and technical, but a big deal to conservatives who say you're, you're, you know, you're just making a joke of the budget caps because it's going to usher in a lot more spending. They say they're not opposed to the veterans' money, but but look what this does is just open the floodgates for extra other domestic spending. And so now they're insisting on an amendment vote for that. And so they held up this veterans' package yet again, much to the frustration of all these veteran activists who were on Capitol Hill on Thursday holding a press conference featuring Jon Stewart again you know, to denounce the delay. Lindsay, my understanding is they're going to take another crack at this this coming week. Yeah, Schumer said that he's going to hold a cloture vote, which is what is needed to, you know, overcome a filibuster, take 60 votes. He'll have it again on Monday um, evening when they return. And he said the offer still stands. He's offered, they previously offered to me to have a vote on his amendment that would shift the mandatory funding back to discretionary Um yeah, this is Pat Toomey, Pat Toomey, the Republican from Pennsylvania, who's pushing this for this amendment. But they've offered it to him at a 60 vote threshold, the same that is needed to overcome the filibuster. And Schumer says that while he hasn't talked to Toomey directly, that others who have said that Toomey's insisting the language be incorporated in the bill. Schumer said that would kill the bill. And Obviously, at a 60-vote threshold, Democrats would be able to defeat the amendment. So Toomey doesn't seem happy with that. So I don't know how they really resolve this. But I do have to say the timing of this, given that they had previously known that this accounting shift was there, they voted for it before. And then all of a sudden, the day that the Manchin and Schumer reconciliation deals announced, they vote against it. I I don't know if anyone's actively connected it, but it's just hard pressed to not see a connection. I think it's called rising political tensions getting in the way of <laughs> making headway on some of these measures. That's uh, Here's another case where we've seen something blow up when we least expect it. But that's where we are on that. And before we go, there's just been so much, so much to talk about this week. But Senate appropriators actually unveiled all their spending bills for the coming fiscal year, which probably got almost zero notice outside of the world of CQ roll call and our and our budget folks, because there's just too much going on. But but um, they did unveil their spending bills, which sets up another clash, you know, between Democrats and Republicans over so many over defense spending levels, over abortion policy, over border security, over climate change, so much more. These bills were written only by Democrats because there's been no bipartisan agreement on spending levels. So the Senate Appropriations Committee have has had no markups on these bills. They just they just released them. So they're Democrat written bills. 
which Republicans announced would be dead on arrival. So these bills aren't going anywhere, but they do sort of lay set the stage for for what the Democratic priorities are as they as they head to bipartisan negotiations. Uh, and we do see some stark differences here <laughs> that are, that are going to be hard to resolve. And I, it's hard to imagine any of that happens before the midterm elections at this point, right? Because the politics are just too hard and they have too many other priorities to get done that this is going to be put off until after the elections. So we're looking at a lame duck session of Congress to try to wrap up an omnibus spending deal late yet again. But I think that's what we're looking at. And we should say even these bills, Democrats are even divided among themselves here is what these bills showed me, because the Senate bills are different even from the House Democratic bills by a lot. I mean, they've proposed almost double the amount of a defense spending increase that the House did. That's a huge gap that they're going to have to reconcile. And then closer on domestic spending, but still a gap. So, you know, still to account for billions of dollars. So, I mean, there's some work even among among Democrats themselves as to how much spending they want and how to divvy up the pie here between defense and non-defense, which has been, you know, and, and Republicans say, even though these Senate bills are better than the House bills, there's still not enough for defense right because they they're still pushing for a bigger increase saying they're not they're still not keeping up with inflation and to help with the Ukraine war so we're in for big battles here that that are going to take months and months to get resolved if ever and republicans are already raising the prospect of just doing a a, a long-term continuing resolution a stopgap just to extend current funding ad infinitum if they can't resolve this Anything quickly you two want to add on this point about where we are in appropriations? Yeah, so it's it's not quite appropriations, but related. You know, I think if there is that lame duck omnibus, you know, we've talked about before the prospect of sort of like some end of year tax legislation. But I think now that we've seen what's in, you know, theoretically a potential uh, final reconciliation deal, probably not expecting more things to come back into that. And then also, you know, the final form of the what was in the end called the chips and science bill. Now that we're seeing what's actually in and out of that, I think we're going to start to understand the universe of things for the end of the year. Um, things like R and D full and immediate R and D expensing, like Lindsay mentioned, you know, have missed the boat on both those things now. And with the chips bill, there was a whole conference negotiation going on on bigger bills. There are still things left out there and Schumer and some others, you know, want to continue those negotiations. Schumer wants to get something on the floor in September, but you know, you have others like Kevin Brady, the top Republican on Ways and Means, who was saying he thinks trade negotiations, you know, based on that conference might be more likely to slip toward uh, a lame duck. So I think it could be big leg- legislative push there with the omnibus as a vehicle if it exists. And the only other thing I wanted to add on appropriations is, you know, Schumer, the majority leader of the Senate, acknowledged yesterday there will be a stopgap measure um, known as a continuing resolution or CR because he brought this up in the context of part of his deal with Manchin um, was to, they agreed, he, he, Manchin, as well as Biden and Pelosi, uh, President Joe Biden and Speaker Nancy Pelosi in the House, have agreed to try to move permitting reform legislation, um, basically to speed up permitting process for energy projects 
whether it be fossil fuels or also maybe some climate-friendly ones. But uh, that was really important to mention. They're going to try to attach that to the CR, the continuing resolution. So We know there will be a continuing resolution for sure in September because that'll take up much of September because they, they know they need that. The f- federal fiscal year begins October 1st, and no way will these bills be done by then. So for sure there is a CR, and they could attach all kinds of of things to that right before their re-election campaign. So stay tuned for that too. The roller coaster ride continues, but that's all we've got time for today. Thanks again to Lindsay McPherson and Laura Weiss for joining me. Thanks, folks. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. And we'll be back, we hope, next week. Yeah.